the fact that she's saying we just don't know, we just don't know. I mean, that tell they literally scrambled jets to shoot things down that they if she's telling the truth, they don't know the origin of it. They don't know who sent it. They don't know what its purpose was. They just decided to shoot it down. Inherently, that means it wasn't a military decision. Attention passengers, we ask that you please fasten your seatbelts at this time and secure all baggage underneath your seat or in the overhead compartments. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is prepared for takeoff. Busy time in politics and flyover country. Jared Crawford is here behind the board. Sean Southern, I'm Joe Arnold. Scott Jennings, welcome back from New York City and Washington, D.C. and all points CNN. They had you on the run. They did. I, I spent a lot of time in the Big Apple for our special State of the Union coverage and then hopped down to D.C. for the show State of the Union on the following Sunday and finally got back to Kentucky for uh, some family time. But I'm headed back this week at... Uh, some uh, New York time coming up on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday night. You'll catch me at 7 and 9 with Aaron Burnett this week, who's got those two time slots. Coming up here on the Flyover Country podcast, Nikki Haley entering the race for president. I wanted to uh, actually play a, a soundbite here in a few minutes uh, from the State of the Union on CNN and a senator from South Dakota who I thought had a, maybe the right way to put the Social Security, uh, what, what maybe what Rick Scott means to say but can't, I don't know. But we'll, we'll we'll hear that in a few. I think I think you're half right. I think he doesn't mean to say it, but he also can't say it. <laughs> God love him. Rick Scott is the example of uh, sort of like in uh, the, the, the ultimate Kentucky and Southern put down is bless his heart. Yeah, he's still you out know? there trying. <laughs> exactly. And he did. What is it, Scott? Some people just it's what's the old Mitch McConnell quote? You, the, the, no education, the second kick of a mule. I think he's on his fifteenth or sixteenth. It game. really is. <laughs> I mean, he just and it's like. Book me again on another interview and let me just be pummeled. Why? He, what he's is working that? really hard uh, on this, and you know, of course, so do washing machines. And uh, <laughs> as a man once said in a movie, but it's uh, it's not good. We'll get to that in a few, I guess. The only thing being shot down more than Rick Scott these days are Chinese balloons. Oh, I'm telling you, because uh, we have like at that. least we have at least four <laughs> that have happened so. Why far. do you know they're Chinese? Even the White House doesn't know what they are. Well, I don't know how they're flying. I I have some inside information. They don't even know if they're balloons. (laughs) They don't. They do not know anything. Perhaps the most troubling part about all this is NORAD saying, we didn't know we should be looking out for these. We didn't, we didn't, we we need to recalibrate our machines to actually get everything flying over our country. Like, I would have thought they, first of all, they can catch Rudolph every year. I would think that they should be able to catch any kind of flying object the size of a car. I First of all, do you believe they don't legitimately know? I don't know. I mean, on the one hand, I think they may not know, uh, because, and they're just shooting them down basically because that's how embarrassing it was for the first balloon to fly over the whole country. And so now they're just going to, you know, they're just kicking open the saloon doors and shooting whoever's in there. Or they're just lying. They do know what they are, and they're in, they're, they don't feel like they can tell the American people. All On top of all this... Where is the president? Has said nothing about this. I mean, we've shot down all this stuff. We have U.S. military fighter jets scrambling over two different countries. We have a plane that uh, we spent a lot of money on, but has never fired a shot in anger until the last week, the F-22. Where's the commander-in-chief? I think it's pretty outrageous that he's not briefed the American people. Do we think that it is just a coincidence that the same year that this is happening, we get a new Indiana Jones movie in which... We're following up on the story that had to do with aliens. 
I did not realize that was a plot line. I saw some of the Super Bowl commercial, which I was jazzed about because I just I, like, I, I forgot. No, you didn't even see the last movie. You didn't even want, you don't even watch. I Avengers. saw Indiana Jones. The, 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 I'm I'm sorry to brought this up. The one with Child of. I'm also sorry that you have derailed this conversation. Okay, what? <laughs> <laughs> what? Where? So, who do we have? What do we have? Do we have our girl? All right, let's. let's so let's get. To where the, is she? Let's get to the bottom. Let's where, get to the bottom of this. And let's let's ask Corinne. What is it, what's your name? Corinne Jean Pierre, right. our new co-host who has replaced Kevin Grout right. on the podcast. Yeah, we're, asked, we're trying her out. Asked and and the White House briefing room about the the political pressure on the president, and if that's in fact a factor in what's going on now with these balloons being popped one at a time. There that that what has that what really drove the president's decisions in the in the latter three. Um, shootdowns was an overreaction, a political overreaction to the criticism that he took on the Chinese spy balloon for waiting too long. In other words, that he he was criticized for waiting too long in the first balloon, and so the reaction, the overreaction, the critics would say, is that he moved too quickly to shoot down the other ones before even knowing, obviously, what they were. Uh, how do you guys respond to that? I'll respond to it this way: two different two different things, right? The Chinese surveillance balloon completely different um, operation, if you will, a com- complete different, um, uh, um, you know, situation, if you will. It was a, a balloon, as you all know, that was a Chinese surveillance balloon. Uh, we wanted, the president's number one thing was to make sure that uh, we kept American civilians safe. He took recommendations from the Pentagon. Hold on, pause uh, it for just told- one second. Let's pause it for just one second. He took recommendations that we keep American civilians safe. So is she saying that in relation to where they shot it down, or is she saying that, well, maybe these things had offensive capabilities? How did you take it? I, I took it as as to not shoot it down on an area where civilians would be harmed, but we, we, we also just don't know a whole lot of information. Now, we're 10 days old on this first balloon, but at the same time, what I thought from the very beginning was it didn't hold water, the arguments, because, A, if there's, in fact, surveillance going on of ICBM fields, in the Dakotas and Montana and the places where these things are, are deployed, that to me does endanger Americans if the Chinese are getting close-hand intelligence or surveillance of those areas. That mm-hmm. is a national security risk. That is my safety. And if you haven't been there recently, there's a lot of area for that stuff to come down. It's, it, rather than, I mean, it's one thing just flying over a major metropolitan area, but most of the <laughs> middle section of the country that most of us have been through, we understand here in flyover country, yeah, go ahead and bring it down. You can just you can you can pretty much calibrate that and and plan ahead for a pretty big swath. You might kill some bison, you know, but it, but in the meantime, you're going to be okay to bring it down. I'll let Peter hear that. Well, <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't. You're canceled I, again. I, I did not. I did not factor in the prairie dogs and the bison. All right, what, else, what else? You got Kareen, there? go ahead. Who said that we should follow the path? And he agreed. They followed the path. But he also said the moment that they can to shoot it down. And that's what occurred. But let's remember what what happened while the while the balloon was on its path. We were able to collect data from it. We were able to protect our security data on the ground and learn from the Chinese surveillance balloon. That's what we were able to do. And when it got over an area where uh, it was safe, where we were able to collect, because we are collecting the data that's on the, 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 I should not the data, but the um, the debris, right, that's on the ocean floor and learning more about its capabilities. And when we were able to do that, 
they shot it down. And so we're going to learn a lot more because of the action that the president took and because of the action that the Pentagon took, right, uh, with the recommendation that they provided with the president. So right. that's a different scenario. It's not the same. And as I just mentioned, with the objects, they were in civilian airspace. So the president took action to protect our civilian airspace. They were The elevation was a little bit low, was lower, and he took that action. I... I don't know if if the object here is to learn about these things mm-hmm. and to and to be as educated as we can be about them. How can you then fast forward from the first balloon to these other shoot downs where we're just mm-hmm. shooting everything down that pops up on the radar and right. saying we have no idea if they're Chinese or commercial or you know if Mrs. Gates's sixth grade class you know has a weather balloon project they floated up. I mean that that's essentially what they've said. And the senators in both parties who've gotten this briefing have come out and said. <clears throat> We've been told nothing. You know, we we don't know anything more than you do. They're confused, and and so I, I don't know. I just, I mean, in some ways, and of course, we heard one of the first things that we heard uh, within, I would say, forty eight hours of of this of civilian first spotting this balloon uh, in 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 the northern U.S. is well. Yeah, it's here, but it also we also had some during Trump administration, so you shouldn't be criticizing Biden. So Kirby. The, the other press guy they got, to, you know, when he, she's struggling, he they bring her in. And so, <clears throat> and so he he actually did something I think extremely dishonest in his briefing when he said, "Well, there were these objects were in the sky uh, during the previous administration, but they weren't able to detect them, and we did, and that's why we shot them down." As if to say, the political appointees in the White House, like Joe Biden himself, is sitting right. here scanning a radar station and deciding, you know, point, but. That's not what happened here. And to he, he sort of implied that the party in power or the political appointees in power mattered as it related to the military intelligence officers who were making these assessments. That is not at all true, but that's what he implied. Kirby was really dishonest. I mean, that was a hack move. And, and really what he's doing, I think, is essentially he's insulting the military personnel and the intelligence personnel that probably still work there who worked right. there during the Trump administration. Well, that's why you had all these former uh, Trump administration security officials come out and they're like, uh, what? And now they're go- going back to to get briefed on it about what happened? I right. Mean, that's what's interesting about all of this. It is bizarre, though, to think that all this would just start right now. So I guess in some way the administration's defense, it seems to me to be as transparent as possible without betraying any national security well, issues as to say, you know, now that we've, you know, we, we've looked into this, it, as it turns out, we, they've been flying balloons over us for 15 years. I don't know. I read that they basically changed the filters on right. the radar. And so now you're just – things are being picked up that would have otherwise been ignored by the previous dial settings. Well, and one also wonders – The you know, bleeps are now creeps. Yes. <laughs> one also wonders <laughs> what, <laughs> happened, what would have happened if the press didn't see the, this this one balloon flying in the air to begin with. That's the crazy thing. As I said, Like, the, would the, we have known about it, it at all? It was the one photographer – Amateur photographer in was it Montana, right? Who happened to be aiming up in the right direction? And say, wait, a that's not the moon. That's that, <laughs> that's 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 a balloon. That's of no some space type. station either. You know, and you know, there's no question that there are legitimate scientific weather balloons and things that the nations put up, and that's fine. But it just seems. I think I think we weird. should hear from our flyover pod radar expert. What are you doing? The people on spaceballs. This uh, Jared made the, the joke. 
They jam the radar. They jam the radar. You know why are <laughs> but but you know what, you know what was what's been curious about all this stuff is that is that is China's reaction to this about like hey yeah this was just a weather balloon and we're sorry about it and yada 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 then we shoot it down and like no that's ours that <laughs> and we're angry about it and we're gonna do anything in our power to to you know reserve the right to respond. I would just say generally speaking, if there is something flying over our country. That is from a different country and not authorized, permitted, or as other. We don't know what the intentions are. I don't see why you would ever not shoot it down. Well, I think Canadian geese okay. need to watch out for this policy change being implemented by Joe Arnold. If you're from another country and you're flying over, okay, you can be as legalistic as you want. And your, when you and you're you know doing, you're do, you have no if purpose there is here. A, if this, there is a man-made pro, uh, object, go ahead. This Joe will not only secure our airspace, but he will also secure our border, unlike the Joe that's currently in the White House. It is somewhat well, it, uh, com- comparable, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's I'm like, that border goes I'm for this Joe. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm for this Joe. All right, what else What else we got on, on Corrine Jean-Pierre? There was another response, right? To she, she said several things about this today, which I think, I mean, look. She is uh, somebody at the National Review the other day wrote. She's like world historically bad press secretary. The problem with having someone in this job who's so terrible is that when you actually need somebody to be credible on a major topic, you know, you, right. they don't have any. And she, so that, that, and right now, I would think you would want some credibility uh, when you're discussing these things. But nobody believes. First of all, by the way, if they don't, if they won't even tell her what the truth is about Joe Biden's classified documents, which she's repeatedly been caught being dishonest about, they're not telling her whether we've got E.T. in the tank <laughs> in Wisconsin. I mean, they, she's not going to be the one that knows. I have news for you. It was an interesting rollout over the weekend of Justin Trudeau kind of announcing this yeah. other shootdown and the fact that he ordered the U.S. military to do that, and they kind of you know, re- refashion that. But she was asked about that situation as well at the press conference. If it turns out, as it looks like, that the... That, that the president um, and, and Mr. Trudeau sent Top Gun fighters to blow weather balloons out of the sky. Is the, does, the, does the president regret that, and is he embarrassed by that? I'm not going to get ahead of what um, of any final decision. We just don't know yet. We actually just don't know. All right, pause it right there. The fact that she's saying we just don't know, we just don't know. I mean, that tell they literally scrambled jets to shoot things down. That they, if she's telling the truth, they don't know the origin of it. They don't know who sent it. They don't know what its purpose was. They just decided to shoot it down. Inherently, that means it wasn't a military decision. Military decisions are made based on we assess this item as a threat and we shot it down for that reason. In this case, it's a flat, we have no idea what it is, but we shot it down. That is purely a political decision mm-hmm. and it tells you everything you need to know about how embarrassing the balloon was in the first place when it went across the country. I mean, they were literally just kicking open the saloon doors here and firing away. I mean, these things these things could be owned by nonprofits. You don't know, apparently, what they are. I would think, well, I guess I would recommend at this point, if this is the, the case and there's that many things up in the, that are floating over us here, that there ought to be some requirement before people send things up that are of that nature and that size to to register it somewhere and to say by the way we're going to send up a you know a, a, a structure the size of a, a car or a bus or whatever you know what i'd love to hear isn't as is a commercial airline pilot say yeah how often are you flying around and you look out and you see one of these things or something pops up on your radar or is it in your way or 
Like how how big of a deal is it? How often does that occur? I have no no way of knowing. But, but it, it, I guess overall, it's, but the bizarre thing to me is all of a sudden this is happening four times in a week. Well, that's the thing. It, it, it's not possible that it's happening four times in a week. It's possible that they're everywhere. They're, or they've been up there. And that's my point is if, if, if you're going to have that concentration in a week, then it's, you know, probable that they've been up there for a while and they're at that altitude and they're in more places than just you know, remote areas of the northern United States. And so that, I'd be curious to know if airline pilots know more about this than perhaps we do, or Kareen does. Yeah, there was uh, some fighter pilots this week who came out and said, like, these are more fre- frequent than we think, but you get up there, you track them, and they end up being something kind of inconspicuous or whatever. So we don't hear about them being shot down or being tracked or whatever. And so to your point, Scott, now they're just sort of like, ah, oh, there's something up in the sky. Go shoot it down. That'll be cool, people. That's what they wanted us to do before. So, you know, that'll be the badass thing to do. Let's go shoot it down. It's clearly just a political move. This administration really does have a high capacity for flailing. I mean, you know, one thing happens and then they just begin to flail. And in this particular case, they're flailing using military assets. I mean, these missiles aren't free. A, B... I mean, anytime you run a military operation like this, it's you know you run some risks, and uh, uh, I I don't know I having her say over and over again, we just don't know, we just don't know that that is not a confidence inspiring position. Which I go back to my earlier point because that's what she's able to say. I believe that she doesn't know because I believe she knows nothing. But the president knows. Where is this guy? Well, and my, and my thing too, Scott, is I would ask you this: What would happen if? I don't know, White House press secretary for the Bush administration after taking a military action went to the podium and said, oh, well, we don't know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, uh, well, I mean, it, we, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what it was. We <laughs> just decided to shoot first and ask questions later, which is the policy of this administration. Right. At least in the case of the Chinese balloon, by the time they shot it down, they knew it was a Chinese balloon. So how do they know that? They Well, I think that's what they had assessed it at. Initially, right? They had somehow analyzed it and decided it was a Chinese spy balloon. I mean, that's that's what she's been saying is that right. the, the reason There's they no left it up that, is because they were yeah. following it, tracking right. it, you know, Taking getting pictures information. of it. Yeah, yeah and then yeah. shot it down. So it, in that case, they were able to make an assessment initially. We know what this is. In this case, she's saying the opposite. Well, we saw it and we shot it. We didn't really bother to figure out what it was, which I, I just find that to be weird. Those four balloons experiencing some rapid deflation. The country is not. The inflation, <laughs> I uh, I have been doing quite a bit of shopping, and, and we had a big events last week that are paying for a bunch of things locally here. And I've been on the store more, and I guess I, I should be used to it by now, but the prices, I just think about, and I'm blessed to be able to have a, you know, a, a, an income which doesn't make me have to necessarily look at all the prices and, and make a decision whether or not my, my family's going to eat or not. But looking at some of these prices and looking at at families on the on the margins. It was interesting to see how this to was wonder. it was how this was portrayed today. Because initially everybody you could tell the news outlets wanted to rush with the inflation continues to cool. But then everybody started to actually look at it and realize that's not what happened. Think look at this. Year over year price changes. Fuel oil 27.7% increase. Gas utilities, 26.7%. Transportation, 14.6%. Electricity, 11.9%. Food at home, 113 Food away from home, 82 Shelter, 79 mm. Overall, 
Consumer Price Index up 6.4% year over year. New cars, 5.8. Gasoline, 1.5. The only thing that was down in this list I was looking at was used cars, which have come down like 11.5%. Everything else, price changes over the last year. I mean, what you're feeling, yeah. it's real. It's in the numbers. It, the data I, doesn't lie. And you can see people. I mean, I and I just feel bad, uh, you know, and putting things back on the shelf. You're checking out the self-scan. You're, you're saying like, you're like exchanging looks with people at the at the you know at the deli counter or at the, the mm-hmm. while you're checking out eggs or it's like geez it's like yeah. people are like looking at each that, other and like it's it's like people are like it's I've, bad. I've never had so many interactions in the store where you're like oh crap and somebody else next yeah. to you is like yeah, I, know, I know like yeah. hot dogs and buns and like just little things that used to and it goes back to you the wouldn't think twice about yes it. Yeah. was it wasn't on sixty minutes the president was giving an interview and he was talking about it's coming down well, or, like two or three days ago he said he, he was he was he, in the State of the Union he this, declared victory over inflation see and is, now this I mean that is the definition of tone deaf I mean I'm just go to the store I mean th- this is this is worse than George H W Bush not knowing you know about the or at least giving having it portrayed he didn't know what a what a scanner was back in the <laughs> back in the uh, the early nineties right. or so. But but the the point being is is that the prices are also I mean think they're compounding. It's one if inflation's still going up, well the prices were already at a certain level and they're going up even more from there. So even like year over year, Scott, that's factor in maybe two or three years ago. On top of that, this is and our yes wages have come up to a degree, but this is but this real, is the spiral. Real wages are down. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And in the not, stuff, not enough. And and what are the absolute basic stuff you got to have? Food, shelter. I mean, that's the stuff that's up the most. Well, used Energy. cars was a big one for a long time because folks on the margins relied yep. on used cars as the sort of cheap way to get to and from work. Yeah, I mean, you you know, you're in the business. I mean, these energy prices. <laughs> I mean, it, it's 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 been rough out there for for folks. And I, you know, for him to go into the State of the Union and, and declare victory over inflation was. I mean, people don't feel that way. I mean, it, mm-hmm. this White House cannot figure out. They're constantly, you can tell, they're constantly asking themselves, we've done so much good work. Why don't people like us? Well, They can't quite figure it out. Well, let me tell you why. Because when you go out and tell people it's raining and instead you pee on their head, they tend to notice, even if you don't. The other thing that happens, of course, is, is casting blame. In other words, the reason why the prices are up is not because of any flooding of the market or of the economy with trillions of dollars in cash. No, it's because these people are... are or profiteers, right? right. They want you to ignore the Obama and the Clinton White House economists that say it's literally their fault. Right. Well, think about during this whole inflationary period, even up until this State of the Union, his answer to these questions is almost always to pick out some obscure business, single them out, and say, "Well, they should fix it." Remember when gas prices were spiking? He he basically went on TV and ordered every mom and pop gas station in America mm-hmm. to go out and just change the sign. Yeah. On there, as though they don't have inputs, as though they're not the like they have to buy the gas and then resell it. And yet he thought he literally thought they could just go outside and change the sign. I mean, it, not it, understanding the power that he has to, you know, I don't know, spur an increase in the nation's oil supply. It, but but time and again, they go back to that same well. Well, we'll just have we'll just we'll just micromanage this private company's sort of activities from right here. I mean, he did it in the State of the Union the other night talking about these fees and stuff. Well, I mean, some of these fees, like, for instance, you know, the fees regarding overdrafts on banks. You know, some of the fees he's complaining about are if you have $80 in your checking account and you spend $500, you get a charge for having overdrawn your account. That's He's wanting to basically stop people from 
being able to have to feel the consequences for overdrawing their. That's one of the fees he's. he's well, that's mentioned. all of liberalism, though, isn't it? But. But again, it's just him okay. saying, "Well, you know, you as a as a banking inst- as a financial institution should not be able to run your business in a way that, you know, it's it's that would drive up the cost for literally everyone else for them to have to foot the bill for people continuously overdrawing their accounts." So, again, he just he goes after individual corporate or even small business entities and never has any reflection of his own policies. And this is a guy that has not lived in the real world since he was elected to the U.S. Senate in, what, the 19-teens? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like, like he, he is not, he's not actually had to go to the grocery store like a normal person. He's not had to do any—he's never had a job outside of being elected. I mean, it, this, this is a guy who just doesn't understand how the market economy works. This is ultimately the reordering of our economy and our country— that began the, the the useful crisis was COVID, and it, and, and it but yeah. it was it was a means to an end to be able to say if we flood the economy with all this if you make our money worth less, it evens the the playing field for everyone who didn't have money in the first place, and that's basically what the, at, the, at the end of it because no one deserves to have any more money than anybody else. That's thinking, and so this is the great way to equalize. We're all going to share that pain. Everyone's going to need government support and subsidies because this is the world that we live in. So, I mean, I, it's, it's, it's going to wipe out the middle class, but he'll get more votes, I guess, is the thinking. If, you get more, if everyone else is as upset as everyone else is saying, well, let's point our fingers, the question is, who do you blame? Do you blame the oil companies? Do you blame the electric utilities? Do you blame the farmers? Do well, you if, you, blame... if you look at the polling, the American people blame him. I mean, in the, all the pre-State of the Union polling, people <clears throat> believed— that his policies were hurting them, not helping them. Uh, they believed uh, that he should not run for re-election. I mean, there was widespread sort of lack of confidence in what he's doing and whether he should continue doing it. Uh, so if you believe the polls uh, and the mood of the country, it's it's. I mean, it wasn't really ambiguous. It was pretty clear that the American people have had enough of this. That's why the whole finish the job thing, I mean— I think we were analyzing the speech that night through the lens of, you know, all the American people. The more I have thought about it, this was begging and pleading with Democrats to let him run again. That's all this was. Mm -hmm. This was not a speech. I I, I think I said that. This is not a speech for anybody but Dems. And even at that, it wasn't – it was like begging them because they don't want it. And I'm not sure the speech actually achieved it, truthfully. I mean, I I just – I don't know. I mean, the the punditry on the night of the speech was – I mean, I heard somebody say, this is the greatest speech he's ever given. Well, the polling doesn't bear that out. His, his, there was no meaningful movement in his overall numbers, uh, from what I read in the Politico Morning Consult stuff this week. It was, it was a blue check speech. It was a, it was a way to, to rally the troops and the people who wanted to, you know, I mean, the, the true believers. The fact of the matter is, is the expectations for this man to get through a recitation of a grocery list would be more— just as impressive as him being able to stand and talk about anything for about five minutes. Well, and that I is mean, something we didn't talk about as much. Maybe you did talk about this after the speech, Scott, just to quickly revisit it. And that is, to, and to Sean's point, is that there, there was a virility check. There was a situation to say, is he capable of taking people on because he's been so silent or so absent and you know the whole Rose Garden or basement strategy of him from being elected on, and now he's able to kind of take these people on. He's showing that he can... He's combative enough. Yeah, um, and and he he was somewhat combative with with the Republicans. Although I think again, dishonestly, 
in, in most of what he talked about. I don't know. I just I, I think the I think the expectations for the State of the Union to change things materially for him, I had no expectation that it would. The polling shows that it hasn't. I think the punditry on the night of the speech was way out of line with what sure. was going to happen. Uh, you know, I was one of the few people out there saying this is ridiculous. Turns out I was right. And uh, and but the, but you can see there are a lot of people. You know what's crazy? <laughs> Biden and these guys. They every single cultural institution, every informational institution in this country, is bending over backwards to promote and protect and uplift this guy. Saturday Night Live will not make fun of him. They never have him on. They make fun of Herschel Walker more than the president. And this dude is twelve skits a day. All right. <laughs> They put his wife on the Grammys. You've got all these supposedly nonpartisan fact checkers constantly every day making up crap to make it look like he's right and Republicans are wrong. You've got a news media that that is constantly flailing to try to make every one of his, you know, bobbles okay when the same thing done under Trump was treated like a national emergency. Everything is 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 geared towards propping him up and making it okay. And it's not. 60% of Democrats don't want him to run again. The American people don't want him to run again. Nobody thinks his policies are helping. They have every possible advantage when it comes to propaganda. They have, all, they have every possible advantage. And even still, it doesn't manifest itself in anything at all approaching what you would consider to be positive polling on this guy's presidency. The one positive or a tactical, and not to relitigate the Social Security line that he used, as I know was was dishonest, Scott. But uh, we talked about at the beginning of the podcast here uh, about how Rick Scott continues to kind of be the gift that keeps on giving for Joe Biden and the Democrats and going out again and again and again. So instead of listening to Rick Scott explaining Social Security, I was watching State of the Union on mm-hmm. CNN over the weekend to watch you, Scott. And instead, before that, uh, Jake Tapper was interviewing Senator Mike Rounds of South Dakota, who I think has the right answer when it comes to the reality of the Social Security financial crisis, which is coming down the pike, without being alarmist. I kind of look at Social Security the way I would at the Department of Defense and our defense spending. We're never going to not fund uh, defense. But at the same time, we every single year, we look at how we can make it better. And I think it's about time that we start talking about Social Security and making it better. We've got 11 years before we actually see cuts start to happen to people that are on Social Security. And I think it'd be very responsible for us to do everything we can to make those funding programs now and the plans right now so that we don't run out of money in Social Security and that it continues to provide all the benefits that it does today. Simply, This was a really good sober interview, and I'm glad Senator Rounds did it. But I have to tell you, and I agree with you, I think he's discussing the issue in a responsible way. This is not at all unlike the way Paul Ryan or other uh, Republican leaders would discuss this issue in 2010, 2011, 2012, which then prompted the Democrats to make ads showing Paul Ryan, you know, putting a grandma in a wheelchair and throwing her off the side of a cliff. I mean, the the problem with debating this issue with Joe Biden is revealed. It doesn't matter what you say. He's going to dishonestly describe your position. They are going to do what Democrats do. And so Rounds is being responsible. Rick Scott's, you know, digging, you know, number one rule when you're in a hole, stop digging. He hasn't learned the number one rule yet. But at some juncture, it doesn't really matter what you do because the Democrats are going to describe you 
in the most dishonest way possible. I mean, Rounds is being a responsible senator here. But it's a political liability at this point, right? Even for him. Because well, you, you he's... Can't, but you can't avoid talking about major issues, especially if the president is making them an issue, because of what I just said. Every institution in this country is now is now dedicated to trying to make Joe Biden right and whoever Republicans wrong. And so now you got to engage on it. No matter how many times the leaders of the yes. respective caucuses that are in charge of actually negotiating, like in setting the policy agenda for the Republicans, say, we're not doing it. The, the, the most dishonest piece of it is Biden has said, said many times now, and stated over and over, well, they want to, uh, in, in exchange for the debt ceiling increase, they want to do the Rick Scott sunset plan. That's what he's been arguing. McConnell, McCarthy, every single Republican in Congress in both chambers from all corners of the party has said, no, this might be the only unifying thing right now in America. Everybody is universally against what Rick Scott wants to do. Both parties, everybody doesn't want to do this. Yet Biden continues to say, oh, that's their bargaining position. We got to do this Rick Scott plan and in exchange for the debt ceiling. And it is so fundamentally hackish because, as Sean just said, McConnell and McCarthy and every other member have made perfectly clear that's not on the table. If I was a journalist interviewing the president, if if he gets an interview again anytime soon, I would say, Mr. President, is it true that without action on the budget, on Social Security, that as of 2034, just 11 years from now, the benefits will be reduced for everyone who retires after that point. Is that true or not? He would lie. He would say no because I won't let it happen. He he would say he would say I can assure you I and the Democrats will never let. He, he here's the thing he he's not capable. Democrats are not capable of having a serious conversation about this issue because all it is to them is a campaign bludgeoning tool. It's demagoguery. It's the same as immigration. Mm-hmm. You know they don't actually have any interest in solving this. <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it is it is nothing more. Then, then, like you just said, campaign demagoguery, it is a bludgeoning tool. That's it. There's no interest in the health of it, in the future of it. They don't care. I guess, come to think of it, if you keep getting elected based upon those things, why give it up? Well, some do and some don't. I mean, we've had, uh, you know, and I don't know what recent elections in this country have turned on that issue, but I know this, it's a time-honored tradition mm-hmm. for Democrats to run ads about Social Security in federal election years. And Biden, obviously, wants to stake his campaign on it. Well, now that he's gotten every Republican to agree that he won't do that, I, as you said a few nights ago, I guess he's not going to run any ads about that in, in 2024. So Scott, by the way, for his piece, you know, is has <laughs> tried to explain his position. But then on Friday night, decided to file new legislation that was like, well, it would require a two-thirds vote of Congress in order to alter Social Security. So you, how can you tell when someone realizes finally that they've lost an argument? They just they file a new bill. So he did that, and then today he went out. We have that clip from him today about the, you know, saying we're gonna we're gonna reopen Social Security every year. I, the problem with this guy is he just keeps talking because he thinks if he just talks enough, right, all the stupid people who are listening to him will will finally get it someday because you know he's the only smart one. Just ask him, and that's the problem with this kind of politician is. It doesn't matter what's going on or how badly I've lost an argument or a debate. If I just talk enough, if I just keep talking over and over again and saying the same thing, everyone will finally magically realize I'm a genius and they'll all follow me. That's not going to happen here. I mean, have you? has anybody in this podcast seen a single other Republican senator on TV saying, I'd like to pass the Rick Scott plan? No. No, no of course not. Jared has, has found the Rick Scott sound from Tuesday. 
Congress ought to tell you how they're going to preserve Medicare and Social Security that are going bankrupt. Now, they say, oh, if I put it, I sit in there, we ought to review programs every five years. He said, somehow that's Stop. a cut. Pause you it know for what? just one second. That's not what his bill says. His bill doesn't say review. Pro- it says sunset programs. So that's problem A, but let's keep going. If we, what do we do on defense? There's no 40-year plan for defense. There's no 100-year plan for defense. Every year we go through the defense budget. So if you don't support a 100-year defense plan, you must be cutting defense every year. So this is disingenuous. I don't believe that we should ever be reducing Medicare or Social Security benefits. But guess what? $31.5 trillion for the debt. When we get to $45 trillion. Pause. So I don't think we should ever reduce benefits, but I think we should reduce benefits. I mean, that's, that's again, right. the t- it's just whatever your position on the issue, I don't really care. Also, I, I would love a 100-year defense plan, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the way China's thinking. I mean, shouldn't we think long term? It just, the, the continuation of trying to explain when, if his own party was behind him, I might, maybe I'd feel they're like, okay, I guess this is our party's position. It's not the party's position. It is one person's position, which now the president is using to target the entire party. They did it during the November election. Mm -hmm. They're going to do it during the presidential campaign. You know what's going to happen to Rick Scott is all these presidential campaigns that are starting, they're all going to get asked about this. And by the way, every single one of them is going to toss him under. Nobody's going to defend this. So he's going to find himself continuously getting flogged by his own party. Does, last thing on this, on Rick Scott, and, and then we're going to get to Nikki Haley here in a minute. But speaking of presidential politics, does it, is there any factor or any dynamic at play here with DeSantis, Florida, Rick Scott, Florida? Or is that just coincidence? I don't I mean, they both happen to live there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm just curious. I mean, I didn't know. I mean, you know, I, I expect, from what I've read, Trump to attack DeSantis on Social Security, arguing that when DeSantis was in Congress back when he first got elected after the Tea Party movement, that he wanted to cut Social Security, which is going to be an interesting thing for Trump to argue, given that supposedly most of his biggest supporters in Congress, the you know, all these people were that got swept in in the Tea Party wave. I mean, they all essentially, you know, were, were pushing for modifications. But of course, to revisit that, they weren't calling for cuts in entitlements back then. They were calling for slowing the rate of growth, which is a different story than cutting something. But as you know, you and I discussed off the air the other day, you know, what's your definition of cut? Democrats right. say any change to the program is a cut. Again, proving you cannot have well, an honest debate with these it's, guys. It's the about same it. way they interpret inflation. So inflation is not as great as it was last month, so it's going down. No. Inflation's still going up, it's just not at the same rate of the as the Chinese balloon. Speaking of definitive <laughs> statements in, in regarding Donald Trump, at one point Nikki Haley was pretty definitive that she would not be running if Donald Trump is running, but that is changing this week. The railroad tracks divided the town by race. I was the proud daughter of Indian immigrants. Not black, not white. I was different. But my mom would always say, your job is not to focus on the differences, but the similarities. And my parents reminded me and my siblings every day how blessed we were to live in America. Some look at our past as evidence that America's founding principles are bad. They say the promise of freedom is just made up. Some think our ideas are not just wrong, but so racist So the, the opening salvo before the official Nothing announcement could be- in South Carolina for the former governor, Donald Trump's former ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, and calling for basically uh, a change in generations, fiscal responsibility, secured borders, and some culture war stuff there as well in her announcement. So does this change, Scott, the dynamics 
or the timing of anyone else who's considering this race? I think, well, obviously, once we started to see her gear up, Tim Scott then leaked out some news that he was starting a super PAC, and he's going to show up at a, at a candidate forum, I guess, in South Carolina in a couple of weeks. So it obviously spurred at least him to get going. I think that the line of demarcation here is, do you have a current platform from which to make news? This is where DeSantis is in a great spot. He doesn't have to launch a campaign, yet the dude's making news every day. Uh, and scoring points every day as it relates to this Republican primary electorate. So I think she kind of had to. I mean, she's gonna ha- she wasn't in office. She hasn't been in office. Um, you know, she's been, I think, out making corporate speeches and whatever. She, she's not been in the sort of the national, you know, zeitgeist, uh, you know, for a couple of years. And so I think she had to get out there and do this and, and try, to, try to make a little splash. And, you know, look, I, she'll be the only woman in the field. She's won some elections. I think generally among Republicans, her her net faves are pretty good, but she's not in the same. No one is in the same stratosphere, new universe, whatever, as DeSantis and Trump right now. So she's a distant, distant third. And in some polls, she doesn't even do as well as Liz Cheney is doing. So I I don't I don't know. I you know we'll we'll see how she performs, but. At this point, she's starting at a low low area. I think I think one point that we've talked about in the past here, but it is again as relevant, is that you know she's trying to make herself relevant with some of these issues that have been discussed in the last few years in this in this starting video, and it just is it's just evidence that you know DeSantis has got this platform, yeah, to yeah. to weigh in on things. I mean, even even uh, th- this last week when he was talking about uh, you know disinformation and deplatforming of people, and uh, you know. Uh, being canceled. I mean, he even said, you know, other people don't have a platform like I do and can fight back. I've been able to fight back. And he was talking about something totally different, not about running for president, but it's something that's true that he has had a platform and even his fundraising emails, guys, I don't know if you've seen them. They've started referring to him as America's governor. Like he, (laughs) in his, in his, in his newsletters. So like he's positioned himself as being America's governor. And so wouldn't you want to hire America's governor to be America's president? I think the thing about her video and what I assume will be similar discussions had by all the videos that people put out is you're going to have a group of people who sort of are complaining about things. And where I think DeSantis is going to score mm-hmm. is like, I'm not complaining. I'm winning. You know, I'm putting points on the board. Trump and all these people, they know how to they know how to complain and start fights. I'm the one that finishes them. That's his calling card finish in this the race. job that's his <laughs> calling card in this race and and this is where Haley not being in office and she really wasn't in office when all this culture war stuff's like you know her record isn't going to be comparable to DeSantis because he came along at the right time to take advantage of of what Republicans want to see out of governors and his electoral record I mean just the fact that he won re-election by the margin that he did and what you know Florida's been shifting of course demographically over the years but it's still a huge change from traditionally I mean we were considering this to be a swing state in presidential elections how many elections ago I also think her journey you know in 16 she was for Rubio which was by the way a huge betrayal of Jeb Bush I think I have to go back and pull the clips but anyway <laughs> She got out for Rubio. She said some pretty nasty things about Trump. Then she winds up for Trump. Then she winds up in the administration. Then she quits. Then she gives this interview to Tim Alberta for that Politico article, which was, you know, attacking Trump. Then she comes back and says, well, uh, I'll never run against Trump. If he runs, I won't run. Then, right. it, you know, uh, you know, a few months later, well, I'm running against Trump because he's too old. Well, did you not know how old he was <laughs> a year ago when you said you wouldn't run against him? I mean— the journey to me is problematic because 
Republican voters are going to see that as, you know, who are, who are you really? And so I think part of her challenge right out of the gate is to try to build something that people see as authentic. Who are you really? And that, that's the challenge for any campaign. Can you make people understand who you are really? And when you've been on such a curvy journey, it, 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 it twisty, turvy, topsy-turvy journey, it makes it hard. I will say one of the interesting things, I'll, I'll be interested to see if she plays into this. She's the first person to challenge Trump. Everybody else will be behind her. And so she'll have this line of, everybody else was afraid to jump in. I jumped in. You all waited for somebody else to break the dam. I was the first person in our party to jump in and challenge Trump. I wonder if she'll play into that. I don't know if it, you know, I don't I don't know that, that there's any voter who's like, oh, you got in a month before so-and-so. Like, it, at the end of things, will that matter? But I saw a headline today that said she's the first person to challenge Trump. That feels kind of significant. It goes back to what you said a moment ago, Scott, about the complaining versus the, the doing. And that is the other question beyond who are you is why are you? Yeah. You know, what, what, what is your plan? What is your, what do you want to do? And so there's the people who perhaps this is their last gasp. I mean, and Asa Hutchinson to say, yeah. I'm going to, I want to be relevant here before it's too late. Although Joe Biden might be giving some people some hope well under their seventies and eighties at this point, you never know. But you know, there's you those hope, kind of Joe. folks. Yes. <laughs> you know something that's mean. <laughs> You, I you, might be. On, you put it on a team. I might me. be the oldest person here, but that's that's. <laughs> you know, so I'm the youngest thing. person among the candidates. How old do you think Nikki Haley is? Anybody know? I would guess uh, she's about my age. Is she mid fifties? Jared, that would have been my get fifty six, fifty seven. Sean, yeah, I, I do agree. Fifty one years 51. old, oh, born in nineteen seventy two. So you she's you know she's still going to be. So the generational argument for her is is going to ring true. Yeah. Um, Just as much for DeSantis or. Anybody else? Yeah, of course he's in his forties, but uh, so Mike Pence is in the news this week with the uh, subpoena, whether or not he's going to comply with that or not. I have to, I have to toot my own horn for a moment on Mike Pence. Please do. that. Do you mind if I do that? Later, can we have a? Can we uh, later? Can we in post production insert a horn being tooted? <laughs> oh, I was just going <laughs> to. Or any any sort of toot will do. I I on television the other night. I was going out to do AC three sixty with Anderson Cooper, and it it was the night that the subpoena of Pence broke. Caitlin Collins actually broke it for us. And they asked me if I thought he was going to challenge it, and I said yes, and I said it would be over privilege but probably over separation of powers issues. And they all kind of looked at me like, well, wasn't he in the executive branch? But I knew then, this is right. What did you, what are you doing? I'm, I'm pulling a Scott Jennings. You have a horn tooting? Yes. This is This is Scott... Announcing the what was it again? What was your point? I, <laughs> I I predicted that he was going to challenge it over separation of powers, claiming yes. that he was a legislative branch yep. official, and that is exactly what they're doing. It's not is I I haven't read the whole deal here, but it strikes me that's their number one argument is because he is a he's a legislative agent. At he's that time. president of the Senate. The speech and debate clause in the Constitution is nearly impenetrable, and so therefore he shouldn't be questioned in this criminal investigation. I called it right, and and I got a few funny looks, but anyway, how about that? Just like to say, I'm gonna call you back now and go. I guess you knew what you were talking about. You get funny so, looks every every day. Let's so on, on the GOP primary, looking ahead for 2024, briefly, Scott and Sean and Jared. So I, I guess I was thinking I had heard, read, uh, picked up that. Because the 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 Cook brothers and 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 the foundations and, and and the big money was going away from Trump and was going to basically go all in and perhaps on DeSantis. In other words, they want to avoid the 
the cavalcade, which which created Trump in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so we were going to basically have a much, much narrower field. The, all the smart money was has been, or at least all the, the pundits that I've heard, I don't, know if, I don't know if I've heard you, Scott, or not on this, is, is saying we're not going to have all these people. But I'm looking at some of the names, and I realize, you know, I've... I see Chris Sununu out there a yep. lot. You just heard you said to Tim Scott. You can't rule out Mike Pence. Nikki Haley is in there. You know about Trump and DeSantis. You you know that Chris Christie is out there. Larry Hogan has made no mistake no, no mistake about his ambition. He wants to be considered at least. Mike Pompeo certainly is out there and trying to raise money here and there, and among other people who are also you know on the the lists here. So that's that sounds like a lot of people to me. I think it'll be smaller ultimately than 2016, and I also think this there'll be a number of people who who exist on the periphery of this race and never actually get in. And I also think there'll be people who get in and get out before a vote's ever cast. So so the real question is, when we get to Iowa, how many people are actually eligible to catch your vote out there? And I think that number is destined to be smaller than 2016. I mean, like, let's talk about Asa Hutchison. You know, great guy, worked in the Bush administration, governor of Arkansas. I mean, he's like 72. I mean, what what is the argument for Asa Hutchison in this race when you've got other governors who are younger making this generational argument, I, mean, I, I don't know. I mean, is there really an argument for Chris Christie in this race? Is there an argument when you've got other current governors or, you know, who also served as governors that, that I just, because, I don't know. Because they're thinking this, Joe Biden is going to be a very weak candidate. This is maybe my last chance to ever be president that sure. I always want to be president since I was in sixth grade. So I need to go ahead and at least make, take my shot. Well, yes, but that's 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 a that's a personal argument. Like that's your right. I- internal protocols. I'm talking about as a rationale for a campaign. Sure. Who actually has a constituency? Who has a rationale to run here? DeSantis obviously has a constituency. Trump obviously has a constituency. Which other candidate in this race has a core constituency that is pining? pining for their candidacy. Would Glenn Youngkin, because of uh, all the things that he did and kind of turned the table uh, about a week, year or two ago? It doesn't show up in the polling. I mean, you don't see in the polling sort of a clamoring for him the way you... I mean, I love Glenn Youngkin. I think he's great, but you just it just doesn't show up in the polling. I think that's why you see, like, I mean, go back to that point I was making about DeSantis and America's governor. Like, he owns the lane. I think that he owns the lane in the polling as being... The governor guy. You mentioned Tim Scott a moment ago. He was someone that for a few months there was sort of the the bright, shining object. Well, I think he still is an interesting person, if only because he will be the most talented communicator in the field. And any time you have the best, it's like playing NBA 2K. If you've got like a guy who's like got the highest (laughs) three-point shooting attribute or whatever, you're going to be a dangerous in, in in your video game matchup. But like Tim Scott, he's in a different universe in his ability to communicate with voters and just media, whatever, friend of the pod, by the way, and 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 that Guest right on the pod, that right there is worth something. I and and some of these other people are nice and they're interesting and they all have, but in terms of maxing out a skill set, there won't be anybody in this race who comes anywhere near Tim Scott in public communications ability. And, and, and the one thing we know about 2016 too is what started to happen was everyone started going. No one would go after Trump really until. The very end, and so they started going after each other to try to cobble up, gobble up that space. And so what I'm looking at is, you know, you see, see kind of this infighting between like Christy Nome going after DeSantis and and that sort of thing. And I think that you're probably going to see more of that here and here in the not too distant future. Uh, yeah, I also just think people know how to handle Trump now too. I've, I've seen some old clips from the, some of those first debates, and when he. God bless Rand Paul. I do not mean this, but when he went after Rand Paul for being essentially off the stage, it was like, what? 
This is not how we do these things. This is not how the decorum. The Jeb Bush moments where he was just like, the, all these people, you bought all these tickets in these front rows, and these people are just your, you know, funders, and there's nobody real here. Nobody likes me because they I don't like them. And people are like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, what? this is not how we debate. I think people are sort of prepared for that now, uh, you know, even if it's just sort of ignoring it, not playing into Trump's fear. And so I even think that the way that will play out will be will be entirely different. There was a New York Times piece a couple of days ago about wondering when DeSantis is going to start taking on Trump, like attacking Trump. I think there is a there's like pining in the punditry, you know, liberal media community for all the Republicans to fight and to and to to sort of degrade themselves by getting into an insult festival with Donald Trump. They don't understand. DeSantis is in such a strong position from his own image. He doesn't have to do this. He does not have to turn himself in to a you know C-list insult comic in order to be a viable presidential candidate. He right. is already arguably the front runner yeah. or a front runner. He doesn't have to do this. And also, there's been a lot of arguments lately about him being Scott Walker. Let me tell you, just having lived through that, he's nowhere. Scott Walker was nowhere near <laughs> what Ron DeSantis is. If you just look at the raw data on these two guys, so I think people want DeSantis to get sucked into this and to look small. Because they're afraid of him. I mean, that's ultimately the issue here. I think the Bi- I think there's been some reporting on this. The Biden team is petrified of running against DeSantis, a young, successful governor of a big purple state. They're desperate to run against Trump. Okay, last thing on this. Do you think, uh, on that note, and the Biden team being aware of all the dynamics and who they might be facing, does Joe Biden's decision whether or not to run or not come down to whether he thinks Trump's the nominee? I think he's already made it. I think he's running. Regardless and, of who the GOP nominee well, is. Well, I think he's already he's I think they already believe Trump's gonna be the nominee. I see. And and that therefore, in Biden's mind, he can run again and win, and he's the only person maybe that can beat Trump. That's what I'm not saying that's true. It's just what he thinks. Mm-hmm. So I think they've already made that calculation. Uh even if maybe there's some operatives around. I talked to a Democrat operative the other day, and they were saying that they think Democrats are making the same mistake they made in 2016 with Hillary. You know, a lot of people just said, well, let's just ignore all the flashing red lights on the dashboard and just give it to her. And they're doing the same thing with Biden. Now, he's a sitting president, and it's hard to imagine taking it away from the incumbent president of the United States. But this operative was like, look, we did this in 16. We just said, well, we got to give it to her. And yeah, there was a little primary fight, but they ultimately just gave it to her. With Biden... Same deal. Look at, again, take the, the personalities the and emotion out of it. The polling. The po- His own party does not want this. There is something going on with him that people don't want. And yet, the Democrat sort of leadership is just choosing to ignore it all. You mentioned Tim Scott earlier in terms of being uh, maxing out a skill set on communications, and Scott was as well over the weekend with yet another analogy on CNN's State of the Union comparing... <laughs> Joe Biden to the cartoon skunk, yeah, Pepe Le Pew. I think people heard it here first. That is true. You did it on this podcast, didn't you? You did it here for you. This is sort of like the cat skills. You kind of try it out here, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then you go to Broadway. Yeah, yeah. So how'd that work? It worked great, I thought, uh, because it's true. I mean, I said that. I, I just said, said cat skills, by the way, on the podcast. How about that? I I I try to make politics relatable to people. Yes. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I could sit there and run through a bunch of numbers or whatever, or I could give you 
the analogy of the day, which is that Joe Biden is Pepe Le Pew and the American people and most Democrats are like the cat that he's constantly gripping and hugging and kissing that's desperate to get away from him. But the skunk never seems to realize the resistance that's going on. Mm-hmm. And when a host arms. hears something like that, even Jake Tapper was like, well, we're going to set aside the fact that Scott just compared the president of the United States to a uh, sexually predatory <laughs> skunk. skunk. <laughs> <laughs> now, so tonight's analogy that, that you mastered was talking about the NBA 2K, 2K. Yeah. and the the, 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 the hyper skills there. So you're going to use that this on CNN? Are we like, trying it out it, here? Well, if I get asked about the different attributes of these candidates, I might say, you know, yeah. Tim Scott. This is like he's a ninety nine on three point shooting. I mean, this is this is what he is. This is his his ability to talk and communicate. And by the way, his story mm-hmm. is just unlike anyone else. Oh, the Washington Post said it was fake. What I, didn't the Washington Post say it was fake? What I love about Tim Scott, by the way, is his story is authentic and it's so gripping. And Joe Biden's story is entirely fabricated <laughs> because he wants his yeah. story to be, you know. When I, Joe Biden does it, it's spinning yarns. I love the juxtaposition, though, of someone telling an actual story of American hardship and and mm-hmm. building yourself up from the ground up, versus Joe Biden literally fabricating all these anecdotes to try to give himself that whatever. So Diane Feinstein's uh, press secretary today, <laughs> and uh, releasing her retirement news. She doesn't know it's out there, and then realizes that, oh, is that out there now? So first we said she hadn't heard about it, but now she's heard about it. But we do have to, Scott, uh, speaking of great political communications. Yes. We're not typically in the business of praising Democrats. But there was a moment. There was a moment with DiFi. I I had forgotten about this, and someone tweeted out the clip, Jared. I hope we have the whole thing where – let's set it up. She was being accosted in the hallway by a group of, like, 10-year-olds – who were compl- and a teacher, and who were complaining at her about climate change, not not voting for the Green New Deal or supporting the Green New Deal. Yes, and basically the, as I recall it, the te- one of them, the teacher maybe was making the argument, you know, if if you don't vote for this, these kids will all be dead in twelve years. It was essentially, you know, what they were arguing. But Diane Feinstein, like a champion, handles it. You to vote yes on the Green New Deal. Oh, please. Okay, I'll tell you what, we. Have- just a crazy. <laughs> like most kids would be like, oh yeah, Johnny. This is so good. We have our own Green New Deal. Some scientists have said that we have 12 years to turn this around. Well, it's not going to get turned around in 10 years. What we can do Senator, if is this doesn't get turned around in 10 years, you're looking at the faces of the people who are going to be living with Here's the teacher. Here's the teacher. The government is supposed to be for the people and by the people and... All you know what's interesting people. about this group is I've been doing this for 30 years. I know what I'm doing. You come in here and you say it has to be my way or the highway. Go! I don't respond to that. Go! Go! I've gotten elected. I just ran. I was elected by almost a million votes. Yes! Plurality. And I know what I'm doing. Yes! So, you know, Get maybe it. people should listen a little bit. Yes. I hear what you're saying, but we're the people who voted you. You're supposed to listen to us. That's your, How old your are you job. Oh, How old I'm 16. Well, I can't you didn't vote, vote for me. <laughs> 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 it doesn't matter. We're the ones who are going to be impacted. It doesn't matter. We're going to be the ones who are impacted. I understand that. I have seven grandchildren. I understand it very well. Senator, the cost of and not taking this action is far higher than the cost of what the Green New Deal will be. 
And Here's there is enormous popularity for this bill around okay. the whole country. Oh, yeah. And we're asking you to we be brave and do this for us and for your grandchildren. Get enough for okay. I'm trying to do the best I can, which was to write a responsible resolution. Any plan that, that doesn't take bold, transformative okay. action is not going to be what we need. We well, need your you know better than I do. So I think one day you should run for the Senate. <laughs> and then you do it your way. But by that time, in the meantime, by that time there's going to be a big problem. Most of these things are just so boilerplate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're here, you post with a picture, that's nice. I love, she she says, said, we're the ones who up. voted you in. How old are you? You're 16. 16. Well, you didn't vote. <laughs> it, was, it was basically, it was it's just almost like she was quoting verbatim the Monty Python. Said, well, you didn't vote for me. Yeah. <laughs> I love it, man. That, that was a great moment in senatorial history brought to you by the retiring... Di- I did... I did feel bad for her today when it was apparent, as Joe said, that she hadn't realized that her office had released, <laughs> had released her retirement statement. But she's a legend. How long has she been in office? Oh, God. 58 years. No, I, I think that's, what, 40 years? She's she 90. She's 90. She's wow. She's been around the block, brother. And she was, uh, she held elected office. Was it San Francisco before that? She was like mayor? That, uh, I don't recall. Let's see here. Diane Feinstein, 89 years old, born 1933. You know, I've been to her house now that I think about it. What? I got invited to a conference once. Did you yell at her too? <laughs> I said, <laughs> you've got 12 years. <laughs> uh, I went to her. She's married to... Um, her husband just passed away. He just passed away, yeah. uh, Mr. Blum. And they have a house overlooking this incredible vista in Aspen. And I was invited to be a part of a conference out there a couple of years ago. And and one of the responsibilities of going to the conference was you had to go to this reception that was being hosted at her house. It was like the most incredible, sweeping, visually sweeping landscape I've ever seen in my life. I couldn't believe it standing up there on the top of this mountain <laughs> looking out over this valley. It was – I mean, they're pretty rich, you know, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, there were, there were nice hosts, and there were people from both parties there, but – Anyway, she's been senator from California since 1992, 89 years old, but she's stepping down, and uh, she was, oh, mayor of San Francisco, 78 Sean. to 88. Mm-hmm. So, um, an acting mayor in 78, and then member of the Board of Supervisors from 70 to 78, so elected office from 1970 all the way through 2022, uh, 23, 4. Actually, I guess she'll be in office. She's not going to step yeah, down. She's, yeah, she's not going to step down. She's yeah, so finish seventy that through twenty-four. That's a that's a run, folks. So, and, well, again, props to Diane Feinstein for the one of the all-time so greatest. Great. Meet your senator, sixth grade, uh, or I whatever how grade those that kids was. Are doing. Well, they're scarred for life. Yeah. How many years ago was that? We're, I mean, they don't have much time left. <laughs> That's a good point. We should call them today <laughs> and see where they are. <laughs> I don't know. They, they can probably vote now. Yeah. All right, know. so that was uh, so the scene. So Diane Feinstein actually begins her scene read her because she actually saw, read, and heard her own retirement announcement by <laughs> by the press today. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I'll, I'll share with you my scene read her. The Minnesota Department of Transportation. I don't know if you saw this or not. They released their class of 2023 snowplow names, and uh, so there are several great ones in there. Better Call Salt, <laughs> Hans Snolo, <laughs> Cleopatra. But the one I wanted to point out for the podcast, though, is because it's Blizzo in honor of Lizzo. Oh. And so, so, so she actually. Wait, do we yeah. think, speaking of Kevin, 
Do he, we think he is better at this than us just playing clips of Kareem Jean-Pierre, or what do we think? I don't know. Close call. I, I, mean, had to, I had to get Lizzo in there because Kevin, in Kevin's absence. So, I, so, Kevin, we're thinking about you. I don't know. I mean, Kareem, first of all, she doesn't come in. She doesn't drink any of the drinks. That's true. She's just on tape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, having one less person in this tiny room, it's not as hot in here as it usually is. She true. produces more content for us than Kevin did does with his quizzes since he gave those up. That's, That's true. Good point. That's true. Hmm. But she can't give us updates on Kevin's baby. That is also true. But we don't have to, you don't, I mean, at least you don't have to pay her. No. Well, we well, all pay her. taxes. We all pay yeah. her. That's yeah, true. So she yeah. should be doing this podcast every day. We're members of the media. Why don't you just reach out? Why don't you reach out to her? <laughs> we should get it. We should You're petition for a seat. I was on TV with her a few times. Tell her it's Fox Soul. <laughs> we should. By the way, Biden <laughs> handling that that was ridiculous. That old bag. That's a Super Bowl interview. It was ridiculous. It was crazy. What did he do? He did. You know, traditionally the president sits down yeah. with the host network and does a Super Bowl interview. Yeah. And they couldn't work it out. And then he was like, well, we agreed to an interview with Fox Soul, which I had never heard of, but apparently is a digital platform that Fox has. He wanted to be interviewed sure. by Vivica A. Fox, which who doesn't? <laughs> but, but like that, they wanted to have, I guess, Brett Bayer do it, their chief right. political anchor, which, uh, I mean, again, if, if when the Republicans get on the press, it's a national emergency. When Joe Biden actively is trying to tamp out, you know, one of the most watched Oh. News organizations in the world, it's somehow fine. Listen, if, if Trump or DeSantis gets into office, I mean, I can't wait to just see how we go revert back to normalcy. Oh, yeah. Well, DeSantis has got, uh, not to belabor this, but I mean, his, their strategy on the media is fascinating. It is basically to treat them like either they don't exist and then to weaponize that treatment. I mean, you know, he's turned down major interviews on several networks, you know, made a made an example out of The View. Like, he's... I expect this to be, I mean, moving forward, how they're going to act. Who else has got one? Sean? I have one. It's not very positive, though. Oh. oh. Thanks, Sean. Uh, it's, it's a key change. Just, I, I think we still have not reckoned as a society with what we did to our, the children of this country during the pandemic. And no. there's a CDC report that came out. Oh. And saying that Preach. following a two-year decline that suicide rates rose again in 2021. And then particularly that there's been record levels of sadness and anxiety, particularly amongst young women. And I think that this is a national health crisis. Is it the pandemic or is it something else? I think it's a mixture of the pan- of the shutdown of schools, which led to social isolation, but also the s- social media and what we're seeing happen. And I just think that we've got to get our arms around this. Yeah, I agree with you. It's and, a, I mean, you all have, I mean, two of you have no, kids. We've, we've, I mean, Scott you, and I have talked about this several times in terms of the, certainly the shutdowns and beyond Beyond the what you're talking about in terms of the psychological and just the crisis and mental health, just the of course the, the learning deficits, especially for yeah. people of color and people of uh, of, of less means. So that's it's a, it is a terrible crisis and it's a terrible tragedy. And unfortunately, much of it was avoidable. And, and you know, like Josh Hawley today, I think proposed a bill that would require that you know you have to be 16 before yeah. you get on a social media site. I don't know if that's the right answer, but I feel like. Somebody needs to be doing something about this. I'm not even sure that's. I mean, if you if you were of a mindset that you wanted to to protect teenagers from social, I'm not sure that's the right age. It. I mean, made it all be older. I mean, that's yeah. the, that's the zone when it really gets them. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. It's it's interesting. This, by the way, this debate I think is really going to animate. I think this is going to be the next way. Like yeah. the next. Yeah. You know, we we talk yeah. constantly here in Flower Country about the opioid epidemic and and how it's affected our people, particularly in rural Kentucky. 
but I think this is the this is the next national like healthcare problem that we're going to face as a country, and it, the ripple effect. Yeah, I mean the reckoning happening now is 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 sad. Jared, you got a scene Red Herd? Yeah, quickly. Mine actually kind of ties in with Sean. I only saw one story about this. Um, anybody watched the Super Bowl? They repeated this on the broadcast a bunch of times. First Super Bowl between two black quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes is now the first black quarterback to start and win two Super Bowls. Both accolades worth celebrating. But I only saw one story about this, so I wanted to highlight it. Jalen Hurts, who ended up being the losing quarterback. A story that I didn't see told enough. Both parents married, and his uh, father was his coach growing up. So he was a coach's son that we so often talk about and highlight. I didn't hear that brought up during the broadcast. Didn't see many stories of it in the pregame or anything like that. That is something worth celebrating alongside the success of these uh, young black men. They're all all younger than me now, which is kind of crazy. But um, celebrating being a coach's son. Too many young black men in these same communities that Jalen Hurts grow, grows up in are coming from single-family homes who have fathers who are not involved. Highlighting being a coach's son is a good thing. Uh, you know, it doesn't make you it doesn't make you corny or silly or whatever. Being a coach's son, we joke about this all the time. First in, last out, gritty guy. That's Jalen Hurts, and uh, unfortunately, is is not common enough in the NFL a league that's dominated by young black men who came from fatherless homes without generational talent. These, these men would be statistics, unfortunately. Um, and so Jalen hurts being a coach's son, having two married parents, both with degrees in education too, uh, which is pretty neat story worth celebrating worth, worth highlighting. I wish the media had talked about it more last week. Great, great pickup. All right. I, my scene red herd is a herd and I'm going to play it for you, Jared. And let's see if we can detect what it is. Oh, what is that, Joe Arnold? Oh, it's baseball. It's a crack of a <laughs> oh, bat. Okay, gotcha. I had to listen for it here. I'm like, wait a second. That's the wind of spring training. Yes, absolutely. That is oh, that yeah. is batting practice right there. That's, that's, that's the crack of the bat in Jupiter, Florida, where our beloved St. Louis Cardinals are now on the field taking batting practice, and pitchers are warming up, and the pops of the mitts, and so on and so forth. I heard that today. Our friend... Um, Brendan Schaefer, who is a reporter for KMOV in St. Louis, he had uh, filed a couple of videos today, and and I listened to that one with the sound on, and I've been waiting for that sound all winter long, and now that the Mm-mm-mm. Super Bowl is over, baseball is here. I'm going to go down to Jupiter in a, in a couple of days and see our beloved Redbirds here at the end of the month, and uh, I'll, I'll bring back some reports. But anyway, I heard that. It made me happy, and I, I wanted to file that today as... Seen Red Herd, the boys of summer are back. Thank you for ending us on a positive note. For Jared, Sean, and Scott, I'm Joe Arnold. Thanks for listening to Flyover Country with Scott Jennings. We'll see you next week. Flyover Country with Scott Jennings is a production of Bluegrass Media Lab, coming to you from the heart of Middle America, Louisville, Kentucky. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Flyover Country on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.